The Chris Sheeran Show, only on YesNetwork.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Chris Sheeran Show podcast on YesNetwork.com and iTunes. Just type in my name, Chris Sheeran. That's S-H-E-A-R-N, as in nice. And you could experience this on a weekly basis with myself and my partner in crime. That's at Lou DiPietro. Yes, on the Twitter machine. And you know what? He might as well just be the third person on this podcast because he's on it enough. And he actually was on the Yes Network doing our bookended, I guess, BK Connect of the year. We only did two, which is a travesty. Our first one was fantastic at Broccolino in uh, Brooklyn in the shadow of Barclays Center. That's Devin Carpertian of www.thebrooklyngame.com. That's dial-up. Well, I know, but I think we're past. People that. don't do the www anymore, so I thought we were a Throwback Thursday. That was a definitely a dial-up intro to mm. Devin. <laughs> dial-up for Devin. Oh boy! Well, there you go. You got your own little sounder there too. What's up, buddy? Not much, man. I feel like with all this old school internet stuff, I should go check my MySpace account to see if anybody's added. Wow! Me yet. See, uh, can you ask Tom how he's doing for me? I worry about him. Do, I think he's doing fine. Didn't he sell it for half a billion dollars? Yeah, good, good, good for him. Moving on. Do we have to um, uh, do this interview in a hurry? Are you running out of your thousand free hours of AOL for research? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Devin, today uh, in the uh, sports media business uh, is known as when you know players are not moving on to the postseason. I guess you could call it garbage bag day. It's when players clean out their lockers, and I know you were there with the Nets today, so uh, what was that experience like, and, and how, how are the players reacting to Garbage Bag Day? Uh, it's interesting. Uh, last year was a little different, obviously, because last year you had guys like Joe Johnson, who didn't know what was going to happen in the offseason for him. You know, the, the team was in a very different place. Uh, Darren Williams declined to speak that day, which has kind of been an interesting um, and his tenure in, in Brooklyn. Um, you know, today it was, we were hoping to get some answers about what guys might be doing in this off season, and we didn't really get any. You know, they have three guys with player options who are Thomas Robinson, Wayne Ellington, Shane Larkin, and all three of them said, look, I don't know what my plans are. Um, you know, they've all kind of said that they want to stay in Brooklyn. They would be open to staying in Brooklyn, but, you know, there's, there's still a long off season ahead, and there's so many things that are uncertain about this team that you can't really say definitively oh, yeah, I'd like to stay with the Nets because you don't know who their head coach is going to be. You don't know who they're going to get in free agency. You don't know what the future holds uh, for this Nets team. So I think, you know, we, we got a sense of what guys want to look for in a head coach. We got a sense of how they react to Sean Marks and the kind of things that he's been implementing uh, with, with this roster and, uh, you know, under his organizational structure, how things have changed. Um, but, you know, there's still a huge off-season of uncertainty for this Nets team. One of those things, uh, one of those structural culture changes I saw you tweet out earlier about tardiness to practice, and that was a problem? I mean, that, that kind of raised my eyebrows. You know, the team has 21 wins, and, and players are coming late to practice before Sean, Sean Marks comes in? i got to tell you, it was surprising to me, too, and it was also, you know, a not-so-thinly-veiled, um, I don't know if the shot is uh, is a bit strong, but you know it was very clear that before he came along, guys were coming late to practice, and they didn't seem to have any consequences put in place, any structure that said, "Look, if you're going to be late to our practices, you're not going to be, you know, you might get fined or you might get suspended." And then Sean Marks comes in and says, "That's not happening anymore." And you know, I I don't want to speculate because nobody was actually named, but if you go through the next season, you'll see a lot of you know 
did not play coach's decision for guys who might have otherwise right. played, and you can right. kind of connect the dots of mm-hmm. you know who maybe wasn't coming to their job and doing what they were supposed to do. I mean, look, it's professional, you know, it's in any exactly. professional setting. Yeah. You know, if, if I didn't come to, if I, you know, I cover an S game for a living, if I didn't come until after game time, I'm going to face consequences mm-hmm. because that's my job. And that should be the same thing with these guys who are, you know, who have, are getting a very significant salary. There's a significant risk involved in, you know, having these guys as part of the organization. And if they're not being professional and showing up on time and, and, uh, and, and putting in the requisite work, you know, they should have consequences. And the fact that they didn't before Sean Marks should tell you one thing, and the fact that the guys immediately responded to Marks and, you know, certain restrictions were put in place as soon as he got there, will tell you another. It's a, it's a bit of an indication, too. You know, we, we've wondered for four months-ish now that uh, why all of that stuff with Billy King and Lionel Hollins happened on a Sunday uh, right after the end of a second game of a road trip, and, and what was that? And you know, maybe it's a glimpse into that. Maybe that's that's where the issue came to a giant head somewhere, and and it was time to to make that move. So maybe that's an indication as to as to what happened there. But <clears throat> yeah, yeah I, I think you can see. I mean, you saw at the end of Lionel's tenure that the the rope had kind of been let go, and um, you know, the, the same was true with Billy. I mean, there was a kind of they were both kind of playing out their contracts. Billy knew that he was. On the hot seat, Lionel knew that this was probably his last coaching job. And so when you have that in place, as opposed to a guy like Sean Marks, who has hopefully in his mind a long future in this league, you want to set structures out. And you want to make sure that people can respect you and you know, you know that you're doing everything that you can to right the ship and make it correct. And so maybe Billy King looks at the idea of guy being late to practice and he wants to do something, but he just there's you know the fact that he might not be with the organization that much longer probably dampens his motivation to do that a little bit. And Sean Marks is the total opposite of that. So let, let's go into that, Devin. Let, let's talk about you. You mentioned the three guys with player options, and they were three starters down the stretch. Two guys who started, you know, most of the games at the end. One guy that started a good chunk of the season in Wayne Ellington, but. Here's the question I have, and we've talked about this in the past, too, and you know Sean Marks was evaluating talent for whatever's going to happen in Brooklyn beyond this year. Here's a few numbers. Just looking at the the Brooklyn Nets schedule I kept on my desk and noted wins and losses and things, just to to randomly set up this question. They were 10-27 and after that loss at Detroit that was the end of the Billy King-Lionel Hollins era. They were 11-34 and afterwards, so they weren't really much worse. They weren't much better, if better at all, really, based on winning percentage, but they weren't really much worse. They were, after 27 games, 7-20, and 20, after the loss against Minnesota right before Christmas. They were 14-40 and 40 at the break, which was 7-20 and 20 in the next 27 games. They were 21-60 and 60 after losing on Monday night. Same record in the next 27 games. This is a team that didn't change you look at the record straight up. This is a team that didn't change anything no matter what changed in their spotlight. So that said, all of these guys that were playing down the stretch and getting this time and Thomas Robinson with all these double-doubles and I want to be a 20-minute player and this and that, how much can you really take out of that? Or, or do you have to look at these guys and go, were they David Lee on the Knicks five years ago, six years ago, when they were terrible and he was great, but he hasn't done anything since? Well, you got to look at a couple things with this team. For one, they were two totally different teams. Um, you know, Jarrett Jack went down in January, and that completely changed the complexion of the team. The last 10 games of this season, you could basically throw out because Brooke and Thad weren't playing, and they were very clearly not looking to win. So even though they had about the same winning percentage, I would say they actually played better relative to expectation because 
you don't have Jared Jack starting. Joe Johnson gets bought out in the middle of February. There, there are some different things that change the complexion of the team over the course of the season that maybe make the win losses a little different. Um, but to your point, I mean, look, we're not talking about, you know, DeMar DeRozan and Kevin Durant. We're talking about Thomas Robinson and Wayne Ellington. These are guys who, you know, want to fit in uh, potentially as a backup or to get minutes and, you know, on a structure that, you know, where they're not the number one guy, obviously. Um, I think the thing is that when we talk to them today, uh, I think we got a pretty solid sense of what each guy wants. Um, Shane Larkin said very clearly that he doesn't mind coming back as a backup. And he said, and I thought it was actually pretty mature of a guy in his position, he said, look, I haven't earned this yet. You know, I don't want the keys to just be handed to me. I'm willing to work towards becoming, you know, a starter on a playoff team, which is the ultimate goal to be a starter on a championship-level team. And he has the foresight to maybe not or know that he's not really quite at that point, and he's willing to come back as a backup in the right situation. Uh, Ellington was a little bit, you know, wasn't exactly clear what they're going to get from him. I mean, he knows he's a system player. He wants to fit in the right system, and so I think the coach is going to have a big impact on whether or not he comes back. And Thomas Robinson just wants to play. And, you know, he said that very clearly a couple of weeks ago, you know, that whole thing about him wanting to play at least 20 minutes a game. You know, he knows that he can put up rebounds and score when he gets the minutes, uh, and he just wants to be on a team that will give him that opportunity. Um, whether that's the Nets, I'm not quite sure. Um, but, again, if he's in a situation where there are teams around and seeing all these double-doubles and thinking, well, he's putting him up on a bad team, they're not really worth anything, he might take the player option just because he'll actually have a contract guarantee for next year. Um, but there's still a lot of uncertainty. That, that's the big question with Thomas Robinson because you say he just wants to play. And this is a team, you know, Brooke Lopez and Thad Young, before they were shut down, started every game they played in. They played 25, 30 minutes a game. They, they are the front court. Chris McCullough late in the season looked like he was a steal at 29 because of the injury. And, you, you know, the three of them together, and Henry Sims looked decent in action, and they, they made some – strange decisions in the front court. Boyan Bogdanovich playing the center <laughs> at some points late in the season. But but Thomas Robinson isn't going to get those minutes here next year, it doesn't seem, does it? So, I mean, to player option aside, is, is it wise for him maybe to just say, you know what, I'm going to look elsewhere because this isn't the spot? You know, I think that's, again, the decision he has to make. And the thing about Thomas Robinson is that he might look at the market and he might not find another team that's going to play him 20, 25 minutes a game. He doesn't, you know, he might not be able to get that opportunity elsewhere. I mean, you look at you know, a team like Philly where he was earlier, they're not going to be committing that type of time to him because they have all these big men out in the front court and they're going in a different direction. You know, so I, the, the question really comes down to if he looks around the NBA and sees no option to get real playing time unless he, say, goes overseas, then he might say, okay, look, I, I don't have another choice here. I'm going to accept the player option, and whatever comes with that will come with that. Um, in, gener- in theory, I agree with you. I think that the Nets are committed to Brooklyn Fad. I think that McCullough is going to get a lot more minutes next year because he's looked a lot better as the season has gone on. He's looked a lot more confident um, since returning from his injury. It's kind of, it was a slow burn by the end of the year. He looked like, like he'd gotten a little more used to NBA speed. Um, and I don't know where Thomas Robinson necessarily fits in that equation. Devin, uh, all the speculation has started with the head coaches, and you alluded to that you know, as soon as we brought you on the podcast here. And I, I just don't know when the dominoes start to fall as far as free agency goes. The Nets really need to have that lead voice in his position before free agency, you know, the frenzy starts. We saw yesterday, Lou and I were talking in my office, and you know, we saw Jeff Van Gundy's name being mentioned 
with the Brooklyn job. And I don't know about you. I just don't see Jeff Van Gundy leaving his cushy job with ESPN and ABC to come to the mess that is Brooklyn right now. And I said mess because Messina uh, (laughs) seems like, no, in all seriousness, he seems like the perfect fit. You know, you want to grow with somebody. You want to get a culture started to form. And he falls under that San Antonio tree. Um, Marks knows him well, obviously. And he can grow with the team. And maybe, you know, he has the respect of the Spurs players out there. And I forgot who it was uh, on the Spurs, and I and I apologize, but I read an article where he Messina really doesn't talk too much, but when he does, he knows the game, and these guys respect him, and they listen. So I don't, you know, net fans might think, who, you know, why this guy? He might not be a bad option for Brooklyn. Yeah, I think Messina is a natural fit. I think you and I see eye to eye there. He's uh, he's got connections with Marks, as you alluded to. He's got connections with Mikhail Prokhorov because he coached uh, right. CSKA Moscow right. uh, to four championships. Uh, he's a great basketball mind. He's respected around the league. He's one of those guys that's been a next-up coach for about four or five years now. You know, he's with the Lakers for a little bit. Um, I could very, very much see that happening. With that said, uh, I have heard the name Jeff Van Gundy more than I expected. In this, really, you know, while trying to figure out, you know, what the direction they're going to go in. Sean, Sean Marks is notoriously kind of tight-lipped about this. He doesn't let a lot go. But I've heard the name Jeff Van Gundy um, in more places than I anticipated when I asked around about this coaching search. Um, I, I, I think, you know, obviously he loves his job at ESPN. I like that he's a commentator because he's a really funny commentator. Yes, he, he is. He knows the game. But, you know, if he's looking to get back into coaching, and, you know, if Tom Thibodeau is going to be taking one job and Scott Brooks can be taking another job and there's not many jobs available and the next job is available, you know, he's already got roots in New York. He knows this market. He knows these guys. Like, there's a, there's not, there's a, like, when, I, when I first, when they first uh, decided they were going to leave Lionel Hollins aside, I didn't think Jeff Van Gundy was a candidate. In the past few months and the past couple weeks and as the search gets up, he's gotten a lot more traction, I think, than I originally anticipated. That's not to say he'll definitely be the coach, but I think they're going to give him a long look, along with Messina, um, potentially Kenny Atkinson, uh, potentially Becky Hammond. Um, You know, there's a few names out there, but I would say that he's got a a real chance. All right, and now that we put that out there, the coach falls into place. Now, you and I talked about this on the air on BK Connect in our last televised pregame show here on Yes!, and I want to bring it back around again because I think it's worth talking about. And that is the fact that um, Marks, in his introductory press conference, one of the comments he put out there, and, and I read Timmy Bontemps, his article that, that brought this point up. And basically, Marks said, you know, we don't have any picks now, but that too may change. So that puts some doubt into everybody's mind as to, okay, we just – signed Brooke Lopez and Thaddeus Young, but are we going to spin them to get picks? Do you think now in the, the Brooklyn game, crystal ball, uh, you could use my head. Um, what, what do you see happening as far as on that front line? Do you see Brooke and Thad back here next year? Or do you see one of them or both of them gone in a complete rebuild happening? Let's put it this way. My, if I was betting my house on it, yes. I would say that they're going to be back next year. Okay. For those guys. 
Um, I would say that it's more likely that if one goes, they both go because there's no point in having one guy without the other. There, I mean, if you're going to trade Brooke Lopez for two first-round picks or whatever it is you get for him um, during the free agency bonanza, uh, then you get rid of Thaddeus Young, too, because Thaddeus Young has toiled long enough on bad teams. Let me, let, let me, let me stop you right there. So we, we, you get both of them back, net fans. You have Brooke and you have Thad. If you get a guy like Van Gundy to come to this team and he's in line before all these free agents drop, does that potentially get you the what's the word I want to use here the juice to get a Kevin Durant to come to Brooklyn well you could get somebody for sure I mean there's definitely I mean guys know who Jeff Van Gundy like Atari Messina is well known in NBA circles Jeff Van Gundy is well known around the country right I mean that's a guy who has very very strong name recognition he's got a pedigree a coaching pedigree people know who Jeff Van Gundy is you turn you hear that name and your head's gonna turn um, you know, Mine just we, did. We talked to, what's that? <laughs> Mine just did. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Well, I could I could feel the wind from your bald head all the Thank way. Thank you very much, Lex uh, Luthor, as you mentioned on Twitter. Yes, <laughs> I grew up wanting uh, to be Superman my whole life, and now I'm Lex Luthor. Go figure. That's all right. I'll never even come close to Superman. There's not many six foot five Armenian Superman out there. <laughs> <laughs> you should you should Google the Indian Superman though, because it is pure joy. I'll give that a shot. Yeah. Um, but one thing that, uh, that when we talked to Thaddeus today, when we asked him about what they need, this team needs, uh, he listed a solid starting point guard and, a, and a, an elite wing scorer. And so, you know, he is going to be somebody who the Nets are going to use to recruit free agents. So he is obviously going to be making some calls to hopefully some big names. Um, and whether or not that comes to fruition or anything, you know, who knows? We'll find out. But um, if you have somebody like Jeff Van Gundy already in the holster, Maybe that bumps you up a little bit. Okay. But if, you know, if a guy like Messina is well-versed in NBA circles, then I don't want to say how much does that mean, but, you know, you're talking about a guy who's who's well-known within the players. So then that may get – the Jeff Van Gundy may get the juice flowing for the fans and the media and the buzz, but wouldn't a, a chance to play for a guy like Messina also get the juices flowing for a guy like that to say, hey, this guy knows the game and knows how to utilize me? Well, it's different levels, too. You have to remember. Like, if you have, uh, you have a 24-year-old guy who, you know, maybe doesn't, hasn't paid attention to a lot of the kind of inner circle NBA workings, he might not have a great feel for what Torrey Messina has done or what he can bring to a team. But you've seen Jeff Van Gundy on ESPN. You know, players are like that, too. Right. Um, and that's not to say that Messina isn't a good fit. I still think he's a great fit. He's a brilliant basketball mind, and I think over time um, he's the kind of guy who you can build a culture with. And, again, his connection with Sean Marks, with Trajan Langdon, with Mikhail Prokhorov, um, as well as his basketball IQ, make him a great fit. Um, so I think that you know, that's, if they go in either one of those directions, it's not a bad thing. Um, it's just going to be very interesting to find out which direction they actually end up. This is it's interesting you mentioned Trajan Langdon because he was going to be my next question or talking point I should say. You know Sean Marks is is what he is. You know Trajan Langdon is what he is. Both of them played in the NBA in the last decade, it seems. So it's a very young front office. How much will that help, hurt, affect, or not affect the Nets' plans going forward? In just that, this is really the first time that either one of them is going through this process even though they're doing it together? Well, again, there's a lot of room to grow. Remember, we talked about you know Billy King and Lionel Holland being 
kind of an old guard who had had a ton of NBA experience, um, but probably weren't going to be building their resumes. You know what I mean? They're not going to the, they're not building something over time. They're running out their contracts. Uh, with Sean Marks, you hope that he's the kind of guy who will instill and implement a structure that's going to be around for a long time. That said, we also thought that about Jason Kidd two years ago, and he's now in Milwaukee. So you know, it's, it's impossible to tell the future with these things. I mean, maybe Sean Marks does a great job, and he sticks around in Brooklyn for 15 years and builds a championship contending team. Maybe he doesn't do anything and flames out and heads back to San Antonio or takes another job. You know, it's, it's hard to really know, but what we do know is that we've got two guys who have drawn rave reviews from uh, the organizations they've worked with. I've talked to people in the Spurs organization who just who have nothing but great things to say about uh, about Sean. They really wanted to keep him, um, you know. They, and so there's, you know, there's a sense that the Nets are doing it right now. They're trying to figure out how to build from the ground up, and they're using a guy who came from an organization that knows how to do it right. And that's what players said to us today. They said, you know, every single player we asked about. John Marks today said, well, he came from the Spurs. You know, I mean, like, there's a, there's a knowledge there that if you come from the Spurs, you're coming from an organization that does things right. And that's what they're hoping to build here. And uh, it, it seems like they're going in the right direction, uh, as is another team, and that's out on the West Coast. And uh, saw something I didn't think we'd see last night, and that's Kobe Bryant putting up 50 <laughs> shots and uh, scoring 60 points in his final game. And I saw your tweet um, saying hi- that that was probably your favorite Kobe. It's the highest shot memory. total in the last thirty years. Yeah, um, yeah. He, he has he has six of the top eight. In fact, I just saw breaking news on my phone on ESPN. Someone had to physically remove him from Staples because he's still shooting. Um, <laughs> yeah, I and yet the he last shot play- more times than Wilt did when got, Wilt got a hundred. Yeah, I think he did. Yeah, yeah. and the last play Nothing of his career else. was an assist. How about that? Yeah. Of all the things, like yeah. his last play on the floor was an assist. I want to I want to bring something up with you, Devin, before I get your comments on Kobe and why you thought it was his his, his best uh, the, the best memory you have of him, and that is one one of our friends, uh, John, who owns the diner here right around the corner. He went out there. He bought tickets a couple of months ago. He didn't pay an arm and a leg like people were right before the game was uh, played last night, but he went yesterday morning to stand in line to get one of those snakeskin Mamba jerseys. <laughs> and listen to this. And this is a horrendous job. And I was going to talk about it with Lou, and we probably will when we let you go, too. But, yeah, we discussed it preliminarily yeah, yesterday. But, but to me, this is a horrendous job by whoever was working at that store across from Staples Center. There were 20 people in that line. I think John told me they had like... 60 to 100 jerseys in the store. I think only 100, 824 were made. 824. There you 824. go. But I think the store only had like 100, uh, maybe a little less. But John was like, all right, I'm 20th in line. I'm going to get one of these jerseys. I'm so happy I came here. Some guy at the front of the line bought all the jerseys. Oh, man. And you know Seriously? he's going to – yes, and you know he's going to go online – and he's going to quadruple they're, his money. They're probably already on eBay. Right. I mean, yep. and I've seen them on eBay for 2400 for 3900 for 4000 That is the worst job I've ever seen in my life when it comes to sports collectibles. For that store across from Staples to not say, no, limit one per customer. You have a line 
backed up 20 deep with people wanting to get this jersey, and you let one guy walk out of there with all of them? That's that's terrible. That's awful. Yeah. You know what, though? I don't even blame the guy. He sees the free market. What I, I blame the store. That's, I, that's who know. I'm blaming. You I'm not blaming the dude. I'm blaming the store. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm just upset ridiculous. that I don't have that kind of money to, to buy all the damn jerseys to make that happen. Right. Again, I'm not, I'm not blaming the guy, but come on, Lakers store. Get me a sports memorabilia loan. Come on, Lakers. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. I got to put my house gotta, up against it. Bankrolled by Brandon Stein. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> but well, yeah. also because Kobe has such like a cachet, like you want to make the fans happy. You don't want to make one fan happy. Right. It's not about a right. market. It's about building it's like like there's like there's nothing about being a fan in that context that should necessitate well that dude's going to be like that dude's going to be happy his bank account is going to be happy yeah it is that's true here's one guy yeah. here's the interesting dichotomy about kobe and let me get your take on this cuz we we've, we've long talked about how the western conference is well, not so much this year. The East took a step forward. But in the last few years, the Western Conference has been the dominant conference in terms of wins and playoff teams and this and that. You have last night, you have Kobe Bryant going into his last game at Staples Center, who's been a shell of himself for 81 of the 82 games this season, many of which he has not played in. You have the Utah Yaz, I believe it's a soft J, the Yaz, are, soft J. are, are technically – Still in the playoff race, depending on what happens with the Rockets-Kings game, which was also kind of a foregone conclusion because the Kings have been on vacation all season. <laughs> and yet, here comes they, – they know it's going to be the Kobe show, and Kobe still shoots 40% on 50 field goal attempts, and, and they, the 17-65 and 65 Lakers knock the Jazz out of the playoffs. What's the more egregious issue in that game, Kobe mania or the Jazz letting it happen? Well, I think the Jazz had already been eliminated by the time they, they were. Were they? Okay. They were. They finished one yeah. game behind the Rockets, and I know it was close. So I think the Rockets had already won their game, okay. or it was a foregone conclusion, 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 but it mattered. And part of why I loved that so much and why it's my favorite moment in Kobe history is that it was such perfect theater. Like, it had just been set up so perfectly to be Kobe's last stand. And he went out, I think, the way he would have dreamed to go out, which is that it's not, it has nothing to do with anybody but Kobe Bryant. Nobody cared what Trey Lyles did in that game. Nobody cared <laughs> what Julius Randle did in that game. Uh, that Gordon game Hayward, was all yeah. about Kobe Bryant uh-huh. from start to finish. His and numbers were on exactly the damn floor, yeah. But like, how do you, I mean, what better way is there to go out for Kobe Bryant than to take more shots than he's ever taken in a game? I mean, that's just like, it's perfect. I mean, what? A, Get them all out while you can. And, and let's be and let's be honest. The end of that game was one of the most amazing, one of the coolest ends to a game I think I've ever seen. Just Mamba, Kobe Bryant, one last time icing a game. Mamba, you know, no matter how you feel about Kobe Bryant, how much how you feel about Kobe, you know, being a clutch player. If you think he, you know, was not as great as everybody else thinks he is, or if you do think he's greater than everybody else, no matter what you think about Kobe Bryant, that was just a very cool moment. And a, I mean, you can't think of a better way to end his career that more encapsulates exactly who Kobe Bryant was. 44% shooting for 60 points. <laughs> and on the same night, the Golden State Warriors are the winningest. Who? Who? <laughs> exactly. I mean, Kobe <laughs> pretty much wiped them off the face of the NBA earth. And, and there they were against the Grizzlies, basically wiping Memphis off the face of the earth to win their 73rd game. And Steph was, what, 10 of 14 or 10 of 19 from downtown? Got to 403 Got pointers to 403. for the first time in NBA history. My Lord. But, I, but here's the thing about that. Here's the thing about that. The Warriors winning 73 games 
or Steph Curry hitting 400 threes is way, way more plausible than Kobe hitting 60 this season. And that's why Kobe was so much more fun to watch. Yeah. We all knew they were going to beat the Grizzlies. And it was a Curry foregone conclusion. Yeah. We got to the point where that's routine. There is nothing routine about Kobe hitting 60 this season and just knocking out a game uh, to close his career. There's no no comparison. Just Mamba-esque one last time. This, this is an interesting thing also I, I put together, too. Here's the weird dichotomy of the season. We set a record for 73 and 9 is the best record in NBA history. The Sixers were one game shy of tying their own record for the worst record in NBA history <laughs> in the same season. They had 10 wins. Yep. They had 10 wins. They were oh 10 and 72. God. That's terrible. It it just shows you what, you know, the direction of two teams. I mean, look, the Sixers are trying to be as bad as possible and the Warriors are better than anyone has ever been. And Sam Hinkie's oh, Tankamania experiment is over too, but this is this is the weird this is the list. I almost want to do a niner on this just for the hell of it. I, the teams they lost to, this is people who were always all season like, oh, what did they start, 29-0 and 0 or 24-0 and 0 and 30-something in a row at home and 39-2 and 2 at home at the end and all this. They, they lost to the Lakers in Los Angeles, who had the worst record in the Western Conference. <laughs> they lost at Milwaukee. Minnesota. At Dallas. At Denver, at Detroit, at Portland, at San Antonio, which I mean that's not a bad loss, and then at home to Boston and Minnesota, nine of nine losses, only five of them to playoff teams, one of them to the team with the worst record in the league, and one at home to Minnesota. Yeah, if you're an NBA team and you could count your losses within two hands, you've had a pretty good year. But does that not almost play into the any given Sunday yeah. version of the NBA's much? I mean, they lost at home to Minnesota. To, and and to don't you forget, this. they were a botched Brook Lopez lamp away from losing. Yes, that is true. Yes, we we for, how soon we forget? Game. Yes, they should have. How soon we forget, Devin? <laughs> and that was a bunny for a seven footer. Just amazing that the most uh, the most vaunted franchise in in the league has the worst record in their conference. A team sets the record for wins. A team almost sets the record for fewest wins. And San Antonio still ends up having like the sixth best season ever. Sixty-seven. And is the number two seed 60, in the Western Conference. Sixty-seven wins, six games out. Spurs Warriors is going to be the NBA Finals. I can't wait to watch it. It's, <laughs> it's going to be incredible. Yeah, it will be. It it's going to be, be like somebody having a semifinal buy in the tournament on the other side. Like we're just waiting well, yeah, on the other was, side for the winner. What of that team in the best. East is going to compare compete with either of those guys? Um, like honestly, if Cleveland makes it, they're not going to be. I mean, if LeBron is phenomenal, and who knows what LeBron could potentially do in a, in a series against anybody? But we saw him doing his superhumanness last year, and they lost in six. Could I? Toronto's not going to compete with that. Could I make a? Could I make conference finals? Is going to decide the championship. Could I make a prediction about Demar Derozan? He, sure. He he will not be in Toronto next year. He'll be, I would agree with you. He'll be the best player in the NBA playoffs whose first name and last name begin with the same two letters and then a capital letter. Got yeah, that going for yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, that too. Here's Spurs Warriors. Though. Let, let's talk about that for a minute. We've got two teams. The, the Warriors were thirty nine and two at home, minus those losses to to Boston and Minnesota. The Spurs were forty and one, with that one loss being to the Golden Warriors. State last week. Should they just play one game in? Forget about the first six and just play one. I mean, come on. Is this? Not, is, is there any way that series doesn't go seven? I don't think so. It's there's such a great contrast of styles too. Um, when I'm like, here's how I describe it: there, there's no team in the NBA 
uh, in NBA history that is as creative as the Warriors, that just can just do things that humans should not be allowed to do or able to do. They, they, they would break a video game more than anybody else. <laughs> the Spurs are just ruthless efficiency. They get, they get good high percentage shots no matter who's on the floor, no matter you know, what the defense is running, no matter what, you know, what, what's going on. They have their own kind of, uh, I don't want to say army-like, but just very tight, strong, efficient basketball the way, you know, the way you want to see it played by an NBA team. And so it's just going to be a phenomenal matchup between two teams that are totally different stylistically. Like, think about this. Nobody, no team in the NBA takes more long two-pointers than the San Antonio Spurs. They're the worst shot in basketball, allegedly, if you look by, if you look by uh, you know, analytics, is the shot they get the most, but they get the ones they want, and they get them all the time, and they're one of the best offenses in the league, even as a part of all that, because their, their offense can run – so, so many different things to get good shots all over the floor, and they can create good shots even in what's considered bad places. The Warriors just break everything. <laughs> it's, I can't wait. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, for people my age, uh, 40 and over. Sorry, you're out too. And you might be in. It's basically sprockets against uh, Cogswell Cogs. 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 Yeah, I watched the go. Jetsons. All right. I, I it's almost know. like I know neither of you guys are Connecticutians or nutmeggers or whatever the no. hell they call us that grew up in the state, but... It's a very similar narrative to UConn and Tennessee back in the mid-90s when UConn became – when they took Pat Summit's mantle as the preeminent women's basketball program. It was the – it is a video game. It's the well-oiled, long-time destructive machine of the Spurs or Tennessee in that case versus the team that figured out the NHL 94 cheat code that if you curl around the goalie, you're going to score on the wide side. They figured out mm-hmm. how to beat the system. That's the Warriors mm-hmm. or UConn in that case in the most titanic matchup of epic proportions. It's exactly mm. the same narrative. Yeah, I, I can't wait for that. With a lot I, more three-pointers. Yeah, that's going to be a hell of a series. You, you know, we're just... So if they had seven games, who would you pick Like if you, in that series? As you're, to, to rub your own head, Chris Sheeran, and open up your own crystal ball. Golden you State. you got to take Golden State. Golden State. I think I would, too. But the only reason I wouldn't would be that the only real weakness that Golden State has is that they can try to get too creative and too fancy. And I think that that is the type of weakness that the Spurs can um, this, can exploit. This team this year, on more than one occasion that I watched them, it looked like they were actually playing cat and mouse with the opposition. There were teams that would – I think the Knicks ran out to like a 15 or 17-point lead. And then the Warriors the said – did. And the Nets did, too. And the Warriors just said, all right, that's enough. Uh, let's, let's turn it on. And bang. I, 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 it's been a long time that I've seen a team like this, besides the Spurs, that are able to do what the Warriors do on a game-in, game-out basis. It, it's kind of well, like... The Spurs just march you to the finish. The right. Warriors will just kill you yeah, whenever they feel right. like it. Cat and mouse is a really good way to put it. And, you know, it, they remind me a lot of the 1998 Yankees. It got to the point that season, and this is pre-yes, it got to the point that season where I, I loved watching the team, but there were nights where I was just like, yeah, I'm not watching. They're, they're, they're going to win. And the next day, you weren't shocked when you opened up the pay. Oh, another sweep. Uh, another serious sweep. Uh, big deal. You know, it got to the point That's where... what happens when you're in 110 yeah, games. Right. I mean, you, you got so cavalier uh-huh. about the damn season. Cavalier. Ooh. <laughs> was that, was that um, a Freudian... Ooh, are they going to beat the Warriors in the finals? No. <laughs> 
There wasn't even any hesitation. And LeBron can talk about it when he makes the decision part three. I'm going back to South Beach sometime oh this God. July. Devin, can you imagine what will happen to Cleveland? I mean, they, they, they reestablished that huge picture on the side of the mural there with him on it. Just one more quick one before you go. I know we've had you on for a while. What what would happen in Cleveland if if that did happen? They'd fold the city. I mean that. <laughs> I mean, not only is he so much of their economy, he's just like they built their yeah. hope and lifeblood. Yeah. On guy. I mean, even if he doesn't win a title there, just like him being there for the rest of his career is, I would want to say a foregone conclusion because LeBron has proven over the past decade that he doesn't really care to do what other people think he's supposed to do. Right. Um, but if he left, I don't know what. I think Cleveland would just, I think it'd just fall apart. I think, I think it just uh, I, Yeah, I mean, they could lose in the finals. He could leave, and he can continue to be the Phil Mickelson of basketball. But just losing can't can't get it done in the clutch. What did they win? Two titles in Miami two. out of four. Two out of four. So two out of four, and he's zero for two in Cleveland. Yeah, his first yeah. go around in Cleveland, you got to give him a little pass, though. That, yeah, that, he he did that by yeah. himself. Yeah. It, it is incredible that he's been to the finals six years in a row. I mean, that is just an unbelievable. It's unbelievable, absolutely. Just. Just the mileage on that guy's body and the time he's put in, and just year after year, he's not play- like we think of the season as an 82 game season. For him, it's a 100 game season. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. yeah. Every that, time. That's an excellent point. Devin, on that note, we're going to let you go. 40 minutes is uh, more than you needed to give us, but we appreciate it, buddy. Anytime, man. I love talking to you guys. Yeah. Well, we, the, the feeling is mutual. Believe us. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, guys. Go Devin, ahead. take care, brother. Take care, Devin. Later. Bye-bye. All right, there he goes, Devin uh, Carperian of the BrooklynGame.com. Uh, follow him in the offseason, Nets fans, and just NBA fans as well. Uh, Devin does a tremendous job, and his writing is phenomenal. He makes you laugh, and he also informs you big time as well. And he'll be, he'll be clutch going up to free agency and, and oh, yeah. it, it, as that whole yeah. thing unfolds later, uh, later in the summer. And follow him on Twitter. It's at U-U-O-R-D-S. So the W is like a... W. w. <laughs> Get it? It's a play on words. It's by a words. play on words. words. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's Devin. Devin. Tremendous. I just thought it, Warrior Spurs. It's going to be like the Highway to Hell versus the Baton Death March. Not too many six <laughs> five. Not too many six Devin five Armenian supermen. <laughs> Unbelievable. I just want a poster. Can we put? I, I can't think of anyone whose name begins first or last other than him with an M. But can we just get? The Splash Brothers and Maurice Spates on a poster is the new run TMC. Nice. I mean, I, I don't I like think there's that. anyone else on the Warriors that that has a last name that begins with them, unless I'm spacing on somebody. Um, but uh, Maurice Spates definitely fits the bill. Plus, he would definitely fill most of the poster because he's a big dude. Yes, he is. But, yes, uh, he is. but I want to go back to that Kobe thing, man. I can't begin to tell you. John still got the jersey. He did. Um, he did. He did. But, yes, yes, he did. But still... Come on. What do what you do? Don't you see the line? Can't you say no, sir, one per customer? You can't buy them all. You would have to put that up ahead of time. Um, I'm looking for the Warriors roster right that now. That is a horrible, horrible job. Come on, Staples Centers. You, you, Staples Center. You're my go to the wheat for the you week can't, of that. You can't blame the nibba for that one. That's that's straight up on the Staples Center uh, store or whatever the staff. hell it was. Um, All right. Let's take a look here. Warriors roster 2016, which is their current roster. It's definitely not going to be Festus Azeli. He's no. not going to be the... Uh, Although I love his first name. 
it's Festus for the rest of us? Yes. All right, let's see who we got other than Thompson Creek. Andrew Bogut, no. Brandon Rush, no. Harrison Barnes, Azeli, Iguodala, Livingston. James Michael McAdoo, I suppose, could be on there. That's it. Kevin Looney, Leandro Barbosa, Ian Clark, and Vera Joe. All right, so it's Maurice Spates or James Michael McAdoo in the middle of, of Thompson and I'd Curry. say Spates. Yeah. Yeah. McAdoo was good in college. Mostly because he probably didn't have to take classes. He did go to North Carolina. And how about Vergeau? Cleveland cuts him loose. And where does he wind up? Golden State. <laughs> On the best team in the freaking league. Oh, my God. Kind of an unbelievable uh, an unbelievable arc, if you will, for, for him. That he, I mean, he's been, on, he's been on, the, on the Cavaliers or had been on the Cavaliers for a long time. Sideshow Bob. During the good and bad times. Mm-hmm. Now he ends up on the Warriors. The upside, the downside, the upside again, and now the best team in the freaking league. Good as for long him. as he doesn't turn into a Carl Malone or a Gary Payton who goes to Los Angeles to chase a ring and, you know, comes up short. Yeah, kind of was, thing. Was... Not that he was chasing a ring, but, you know, those they didn't all work out as well as Ray Bork getting traded to the Avalanche. Did. Yeah, I, I think to me it's, it's Warriors and uh, Cavs. I'm not really going out on a limb here. I know the Cavs haven't played, but you wait. Wait until the first post. Wait until the postseason. Starts. I think, yeah, Boston. Boston has played well against Cleveland this but year. Boston's though. been up and down all season yeah, long. Yeah, but they've played well against Cleveland this year. So that's maybe the only thing I can see preventing a Spurs, Warriors, Raptors, Cavs final four. <laughs> you know, is if Boston gets hot. I mean, a lot of the teams in the East that are in the playoffs are. You kidding me? You're talking about playoffs. You know the Celtics. The Celtics haven't been there very long. Right. The, the Pistons. This is their first year back into relevancy after a while. The Hornets haven't been a stalwart of late. You know, you're, you're missing the Hawkses and the Netses and the Knicks from a couple years ago and the Pacerses of the the conference. Um, you know, it, it's not as top heavy as it has been. It's very very well spread out. I think four teams tied for the middle four spots. In the and West. The, in the East. The West was tight, too. Uh, the West was further down. You're right. The East was the middle bunch. The West was the, uh, the end yeah, of Yeah, the Hawks and Pacers. Utah and Houston. The Hawks and, and Pacers are both in there, but the Heat are back. This is the Pistons' first year, and like I said, in relevancy. And the Hornets. Miami, Atlanta, Boston, and Charlotte all finished 48 and 34. Charlotte's the six. Yep. Miami's the five. Boston's the four. Miami's, Miami's the three. The f- Boston's the five. Oh, Miami's, Miami's the, the three. Okay. Atlanta dropped down. Okay. So you're going to get two ridiculously good matchups in the middle of that in Hawks, Celtics, and Heat Hornets. Yeah. And you're going to get Pacers, Raptors. And the Pacers aren't as good as they have been in the past, but they're still pretty good. And Pistons, Cavs will be fun, if anything else. That's like back in the day, Heat Hornets, no? Yeah. Little Lonzo mourning the battle for Alonzo. Yeah, and then Grandmama. Alonzo. Alonzo mourning. Number 33 out of Judgetown. Good little retro series there. I mean, th- it's funny that last year the Nets were, what, 35 and 47? What, what did the Knicks finish with? 32. So, F- 53 wins combined for the Knicks and Nets would have been the third seed if they were combined in the East, and I think the four, four or five in the West. So they were 22 and 22, and they finished with 32 wins. 22 and 22, and they finished 10 and 28 in their last 38. Ugh, golly. Three and seven in the last 10. The Nets were 35 and 47 last year, right? That was mm-hmm. their record, or was it 37 and 45? I think they won 38. 38 and 44? Okay. Yes. That would have been 11th. 
this year in the East. Yeah, the, the Wizards. East. The Wizards were five hundred and they were tenth. The East. Got better. For most of the season, they were the conference with everybody above 500, and the West had teams on the bottom, I think, until the All-Star. Well, not maybe to the All-Star break, but a little before the All-Star break, there were teams under 500 in the playoff picture. Ten teams in the East finished 500 or better, and four of the, um, four of the seven, eight, seven teams that didn't make the playoffs did make the playoffs last year. So there's the difference. The Bulls, the Wizards, the, the, the Bucks, and the Nets. All didn't make the playoffs. They were replaced by the Celtics, the Heat, the Pistons, and the Hornets. Now, when your one of your stars is saying he wants Tom Thibodeau back, it's not always a good thing in in Chicago. But here's here's the other difference. We we, we talked about this before. I'm just I'm reading standings here. This is really nothing. I'm I'm not breaking news here for anybody. Um, this is the West seventy three and nine, sixty seven and fifteen. The Thunder finished twenty second, twenty eight games back. <sighs> Of the of the conference lead, and they won fifty five games. Oh my god! The Clippers were fifty three and twenty nine, and that was a hotly contested division. And the Nets won the Eastern Conference in yeah. two thousand two with fifty two wins. That, that was they a hot, were the top seed. That was a hotly contested division. What with the Clippers finishing twenty games behind the Warriors, uh, the Trailblazers forty four and thirty eight were the five. The Pistons were forty four and thirty eight were the eight. Yeah, a little. You had a little walk in there. Walking when you said five, five, <laughs> but the Pistons were forty-four and thirty-eight, and they were the eight seed. Whereas forty-four and thirty-eight would have been like the four in the East last year. So definitely much improved. Mavs, Grizzlies, and the Rockets at forty-one and forty-one finished eighth, and that was it. Those were the only eight teams that finished above five hundred in the West. And what was it two two years ago, three years ago, where every team finished fifty and thirty-two or better in the playoffs in the West? Was that three years ago? Two years ago? Two years. Like the Mavs were the eight seed and they were 50 and 32. I think that was three years ago. Maybe. It was a year, yeah. I think, where the Mavs and Thunder were like the 7 8 9 era and they, they were racing the 50 wins and the last playoff spot. I'm pretty sure that was three years ago. Yeah. yeah. Not this year. Can you imagine? The West, uh, golly. And the Warriors played, I mean, they're not as good as usual. Maybe that helped the Warriors win 73 games? Yeah. Because, like I said, they lost one, two. They lost seven games against the West. The only games they lost to the East were Boston and Milwaukee. So I'm not taking anything away from the Warriors and what they accomplished this year, but I, I tend to agree with the, the old-school players that things would be a little bit different if you could play defense the way you were allowed to play defense in the early to mid-'90s. Before the rules changed, I really do. As far as far as Steph Curry goes, I'm not going to rain on his parade. The guy, he's from another planet because it doesn't matter. Sometimes the defense will come out to like 35 feet, and he's still like a. It's like a set in volleyball. It's out of his hands so fast. <laughs> yeah. You can't do anything to and defend you it. Knew- so I don't care what kind of defense you could play, Oscar Robertson. You're not stopping that. You're not. You knew if you knew years back when he carried Davidson to the Elite Eight that he was something special. Yes, and he had the pedigrees. Like, oh, it's Del Curry's kid, and you know he's got an NBA pedigree, whatever. Blah blah. You knew he was going to be something special. You didn't realize it was going to be this. No, there's nobody that could have said that he was going to be this. He's and the fact that the Knicks were one pick away from getting him. Can you imagine him? in What's New York? Jordan Hill doing now? Is he still oh, on the Lakers? God, can you imagine him in the, at the Garden? God, the, the the roof would have been blown off already. 
They wouldn't never traded for Carmelo if he was no. There. Never would have happened. No, you build around him. You don't need Carmelo. No, you want that kid taking shots, not him. Yeah, pretty ridiculous. It's just the way it is. I, you know, I'd love to talk baseball, but um, we're already close to an hour. I didn't wear my depends today, um, and it's a bad thing because I really have to go. <laughs> have to go piddle. <laughs> so, well, here's yeah. here's what you need to know about baseball. We'll I, be back. We'll be I back have, with more next week. I have to do shushies. <laughs> we'll be back next week. But here's what you need to know: the Yankees are one game above 500. They're inconsistent as heck. They signed Nick Swisher. They signed Nick Swisher, and we're what eight games into the season? Seven technically, because the one got rained out. So, draw your own conclusions from what you see in a seven game span. Like Tom from Office Space? Yeah. Di, 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 di. No, not that the guy. jump that, to conclusions. That, yes, jump to conclusions. I don't know. That's all I got. I don't know. We'll be back on The Reg next week. This was more base, basketball fo- I apologize. Basketball I apologize for Monday. Uh, that is on me because that was our last net show. So I went to the diner and uh, I was talking to John about his flight out to L.A. to see Kobe in his last game. And... I said to myself, you know what? Let me buy a nice dinner for the crew uh, for helping us out, making me look pretty all year, which is tough. So I waited for a gigantic pan of penne vodka with sausage. Sausage. And uh, a gigantic tray of garlic bread. And that kind of pushed me back to about 5 o'clock. I did my Nets prep at the diner. And I had to wait for that, and I brought it back, and that's why there was no podcast on Monday. So that's on me, not on Lou. It's on me. I take the hit. Uh, but next week, as he said, we'll be back on the reg Monday and Thursday. And Thursday, well, we might have to do it on Friday because Thursday I think I'm going to Scranton to see Mr. Swisher. We may have to go Monday, Wednesday, actually, because I'll be at the stadium okay. much of next week. So, so Monday, Monday, Wednesday. Wednesday. That's fine. Sold. Uh, we also have to talk hockey, and the Rangers might be done by that time. So We'll find out. All right, boys and girls, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time here on the Chris Sheeran Show on YesNetwork.com and the iTunes Podcast Network. Later.